Thank you for joining us for the Midweek Bible Study with Dr. David Wilson. Now let's join Dr. Wilson for a more in-depth study of the Word of God. Well, folks, if you look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that is a strong statement. If somebody says, I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly fashion, manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle... Note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed, yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul mentioned there was a problem of people not wanting to work because they thought the return of Jesus was so close that they didn't need to work anymore. And they were going from house to house, not doing anything, thinking that they had stopped working. They were running around in an excited idleness from house to house in anticipation of the Lord's return in any moment. Well, this wrong response to that truth led to idleness, but it also led to the lack of ability to support themselves and their family. It appears they also expected the Christians, the church, to support them. Now, it's entirely possible that this is the group that was teaching the heresy in chapter 2 about the fact that the Lord had already returned And they were probably guilty of spreading rumors and gossip about others in the church. I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, they had time on their hands and gossip on their lips, but they defended themselves by arguing the Lord is coming soon. Now, aren't you glad these kinds of people are not with us now? (laughs) There's no one around here that doesn't want to work. Everywhere you go today, seems like people are looking for someone to work. I mean, they're looking for people to come work for them. And over the years, the theme of work has been shorter hours and more pay. And it seems like people are becoming immune to work. Now, some of you are thinking, this is not going to be for me because I'm retired. 
Well, you still got something the Lord wants you to do. It may not be the work that you used to have or the, the profession that you used to be a part of, but the Lord still wants you to do something. I like what Bill Drummond said. He, he said he had just one tool in his toolbox. It was an address book with the numbers of the plumber, electrician, and Joe, the neighborhood handyman. <laughs> a lot of people think that they are to separate their Christianity from their work. That work is secular. You have your Christianity over here, and the two don't ever merge. But 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And then in Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Most of the people living in the first century, a lot of the people in the first century, thought manual labor was undignified. In fact, the poets and the philosophers of that day had a warped view of work. And I'll give you an example. Homer, not Homer Simpson, Homer. He wrote, and I quote him, the gods, little g, gods, hated men and the way they demonstrated their hatred was to invent work and punish men by making them work. A lot of people in the Paul's day thought that work was beneath them. And that's why they had thousands of slaves to do the heavy lifting. Christians, some Christians saw work as a horrible burden. We're not supposed to work. They hated their jobs. Why do people say TGIF? Well, they're, they're ready for a break, obviously. A Gallup poll was taken back seven or eight years ago. 70% of Americans hate their jobs. Or they disengage, so they just try to make it through the day to get paid. Only 30% of American workers say they're really into their work. A lot of people, when Monday rolls around for them, they're like Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh. Pooh. You know who Eeyore, that donkey who's, oh my, and they probably kind of look at, oh no, here's another Monday, I have to go to work. But folks, I want to tell you something, your work matters to God. We're supposed to be an example of work. And that's what Paul is mentioning in here as he closes out this letter to the Thessalonians. He's saying, look, if you're not going to work, that is not bringing glory to God. Now, obviously, if you're disabled and you can't work, you know the exceptions here. But for most people that don't work, I said a lot of them, they just don't want to work. We're seeing that plague in America today. But Christians should not be that way. So let's look at what he says about work. He said, first of all, we ought to work with commitment. Look at verse 6. We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord. Now the word command and in the name of the Lord. And then he tells them to keep away, to stay away from these people. Now the word command is the word to give orders or to instruct with authority. It was used for various directions given from persons in authority like human rulers, like bosses, like military leaders. And Paul uses this word a lot in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. 
He used it in the first uh, book of Thessalonians, first Thessalonians chapter four, verse 11, and then in verse two, and in this letter, in chapter three, verse four, chapter three, verse six, chapter three, verse 10, chapter three, verse 12, it's a military word that is used as a command from a superior officer. He's saying, I'm telling you in the name of the Lord Jesus that you need to work and you need to be a good worker. Now, when it comes to work, there's basically two motivations. One of them is compulsion. When you have to do what you have to do. When you do what you do because you have to. Did you ever do anything by compulsion? Well, I know. I guess it depends on the day of the week sometimes, but some people just don't want to do it. I got amused at a man who said that his wife woke up one morning with a severe case of laryngitis. And for several days, she could not even whisper. And so, to help her communicate, he set up a clever arrangement. All she had to do was tap on the table, and there was a code. One tap meant yes, two taps, no. Three taps, what would you like to have for supper? And he said, 93 taps means take out the garbage. <laughs> Obviously, he didn't like to take out the garbage. One wife said she had to keep after her husband to fix a broken lock. And she said, the only way I could get him to fix it was to tell him my mother was coming to visit. <laughs> That's compulsion. When you have to do something, you don't, you don't enjoy it, I'm going to do it, I don't want to do it. But the other is commitment. When you do what you do because you want to, or you feel called to do it. A lot of people look at work as drudgery, and they don't mind going to work, it's that long wait until quitting time that they don't like. But much of the drudgery of work would be dissolved by a sense of commitment in what we do. Have you ever thought about doing what you do for the Lord? And in these verses, Paul was able to turn his own example. That's why he said, I want you to imitate us, follow us in verse 7. And it's the word Mimeomai, which we get our word mimic. Now, today, if we mimic something, that's sort of a negative connotation. We are being sarcastic or we mimic somebody. But in this day, the idea was that of modeling or becoming like someone or following like them. And it was not a, a, a negative word. It, it stresses the nature of a kind of behavior modeled after someone else that we're following. And Paul said, look, when we were there, we worked because we didn't want to be a burden to you. Mimic us. Follow us. In the New Testament, that word mimic means to, it has a spiritual and ethical and a moral emphasis to it. It's generally linked with an obligation to a certain kind of conduct or a character that we are to exhibit in our life. And that's what he's talking about. In fact, the Bible has a lot of these directives to follow people who are examples. And Paul said, I'm not perfect, 
but follow my example in working. Because even when I was there, I could have lived off of you and you could have supported me, but I wanted to work so I wouldn't be a burden to anybody. Now, while we're on this point, I want you to think for a moment about a couple of things about work. Did you know work is not God's retribution? I've even heard people say work is a result of the fall. Work is a result of sin. But folks, that's not true. The Bible makes it clear in Genesis 2.15, listen to what it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. That's before the fall in chapter 3. God didn't curse Adam and Eve. He didn't curse work. He did curse the ground. And from that time on, Adam and Eve had to work harder. Now there were thorns and thistles to clear away before they could plant, and there were, there were weeds that grew. Well, we know about those, don't we? Isn't it sad that the first thing that turns green in your yard is a weed? Working, work became backbreaking and sweat-producing. Work is good, but the reason work is often hard is because we live in a sinful world. But working is not bad, and it's not God's retribution, because all through the Scripture, God commends work. The fourth commandment was about taking a day of rest, and we sometimes miss the point. God said, remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. I had a lady ask me Sunday, why do we not meet on the Sabbath? The Sabbath is Saturday. And I told her, of all the commandments, Jesus reiterated all of them except that one in the New Testament. And Jesus appeared to his disciples on the first day of the week. And so that's why we meet on Sunday, the first day of the week, to celebrate the resurrection of Christ and the new covenant with Jesus. But folks, it still doesn't discount the fact that we need to rest from time to time. Now, we're not to rest five or six days of the week and work one day. Like me, I work one day a week, Sunday. <laughs> Actually, two days, you count Wednesday. It's a great job. Even then, people want you to cut your time. It's wonderful. But even though that's a warning against laziness, he also said, you know what? For those of you who are workaholics, you're not doing yourself or your family or your children any favors. You're sinning against God, against your family, against your body. God designed humanity to function in a balance. There's work and there's rest. And folks, I want to tell you, if God rested, we need to rest. You may be thinking this message isn't for you because you don't have a job. You're a student. I doubt many of you are still students. But there's another kind of labor besides manual labor. There's mental labor. And all these principles apply to students as well. The Bible teaches the value of good, hard, honest work. The legendary coach Vince Lombardi, 
He said, the only place that success comes before work is in the dictionary. Thomas Edison said, we often miss opportunity because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. So we work with commitment. I'm committed to providing. I'm committed to taking care of myself. I'm committed to taking care of my family. Sometimes people need some help. And I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty, but if you're not working because you just don't want to, that's not what God would have you do. If you can't find a job and you're trying, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You know what he's talking about here. Second realization is that work is our responsibility. It kind of goes with what I told you that it's not God's retribution. The Bible tells us to approach it with commitment. Ecclesiastes 3.13 says, take pleasure in all his toil. Deuteronomy 12.18, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all your undertakings. Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hands do, verily do it with all your might. The need to develop a Christian philosophy of labor begins with that commitment. It is our responsibility. You know what an oxymoron is? A combination of contradictory words. The plural of oxymoron is oxymora. So here are a few good oxymora. Jumbo shrimp. Pretty ugly. <laughs> Working vacation. Tight slacks. Microsoft works. <laughs> Humble Texan. And of course, what we're looking at tonight, lazy Christian, that's an oxymoron. It doesn't go together. Back in 2010, Nicole Mamo tried to place a help wanted ad in a government job center in Norfolk, London, excuse me, Norfolk, England. And Mamo owned an employment agency and her ad said applicants for the $9.35 an hour position of cleaner, quote, must be very reliable and hardworking, end of quote. But the government job center refused the ad. And they said it was because they could be sued for, quote, discriminating against unreliable people. Whenever somebody received something without working for it, somebody else had to work for it without receiving it. And the worst thing that can happen to a nation is for half the people to get the idea they don't have to work because somebody else will work for them and the other half get the idea that it does no good to work because they don't get to enjoy the fruits of their labor. We have a responsibility to work with commitment. We also are to work with cooperation. Look at verse 6. He talked about those who are walking disorderly or undisciplined. It's another military term. It means to be out of rank or out of step. 
It was used of soldiers who were moving in disarray or they were out of step with the platoon. In verse 11, he uses the word busybodies, and that's actually a play on words because it translates, they are busy being busybodies. Instead of busily doing their own work, they're interfering with everybody else. There's some people who always are like blisters. They show up after the work is done. Or they're like the guy who applied at the welfare office. He said he needed financial assistance because he said, I'm having trouble with my eyes. I can't see myself going to work. (laughs) I read about a man who applied for a handyman job. And the prospective employer said, do you do carpentry? He said, no. Do you do bricklaying? He said, no. Do you do electrical work? He said, no, I don't know anything about it. Finally, the employer said, well, tell me what is handy about you? He said, I live just around the corner. (laughs) Don't interfere with what everybody else is doing. I've always, well, I better not say that one. Well, I am. I've always wanted to have a sign that said, if you don't have anything to do, don't do it here. (laughs) The only exercise some people get is jumping to conclusions, running down to church or sidestepping responsibility. You're going to like this one. This is all you're going to remember tonight. You hear about the world's laziest man. He found a magic lamp, rubbed it, a genie came out, granted him three wishes. World's laziest man. The guy said, I want a horse, a sumo wrestler, and a squirrel. (laughs) Poof, they all appeared right there in front of him. And the genie said, I've got to ask you, what are these for? He said, well, I'm tired of walking everywhere, so I want to ride the horse. I want the sumo wrestler to lift me onto that horse so I don't have to climb up on it. He said, well, what is the squirrel for? He said, well, I need somebody to go to get the horse to go. (laughs) I told you, you won't remember anything else, but you'll remember that. Yeah, we can laugh at lazy people, but a lazy Christian really is a contradiction freeloading off of the working believers in Thessalonica motivated Paul to use some of the strongest language. He said, I command you in the name of the Lord that you withdraw from people like that. Why? Because laziness is contagious. Part of human nature is that if you do nothing, you'll always drift in the wrong direction. I call it the gravity of depravity. If you find a friend that's chilling out on the sofa eating Cheetos and drinking a Coke, and you might have the thought that you need to pull him up onto his feet and go work out. Come on, let's go work out. But he says, no, wait, you come down here and sit down for a minute. And so gravity is working with him. He pulls you down on the couch And then you soon find yourself chilling out on the sofa with orange lips. 
It's contagious. There are a lot of verses in Proverbs that speak of that. Idle hands make one poor, but diligent hands bring riches. Laziness induces deep sleep, and a lazy person will go hungry. The apostle said the Christians who are lazy are a double threat. They're not staying busy. Instead, they're becoming busy bodies. And he used the word in the Greek that describes people who are always running around sticking their nose in everyone else's business. He said, you need to work. Take care of yourself. Take care of your families. Paul said, avoid those kinds of people. And his command to lazy Christians was blunt. He said, you need to settle down and go to work. Earn your bread. Because if you don't work, you don't eat. You know, Hunger can be a great motivation to work. The third thing is to work with consistency. Look at verse 13. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. The word grow weary means to become tired. You you know what it means. You've been weary and struggling with a matter. You become weary... It suggests that some might be losing heart because of all the other people that seem to be not working. Doing good, something of high quality. Don't don't get tired of doing your best. Work is sacred in the sense that it's done to the Lord. And whether you're washing dishes, you're scrubbing floors, you're taking care of children at home, maintaining the house, whether you're in a financial marketplace doing accounting or bookkeeping or whether you're delivering mail or teaching a school, in school or driving a truck or whatever you're doing, do it as a service rendered to the Lord. Thank you, God, for giving me the opportunity. Thank you for giving me the ability. Today I'm going to work for you. He's gifted you. He's he's given you the ability. He's given you the power to get wealth, as it says in Deuteronomy. And he's allowed you the opportunity to provide this sustenance through this ability that he's giving you. But do it as you're serving him. Lord, whatever I do, I want to do it to the best of my ability. I don't want to just get by. That's your ministry. It's your ministry. Christians in the marketplace are a ministry. You don't do your work and then do your ministry. It's part of your ministry. It's part of your life. The word enthusiasm comes from in theos, in God. The more in God you are, the more God is in you. And you work with enthusiasm, and it will show and be honest on a scale of 1 to 10. How enthusiastic are you about your job? That's hard to say right now when you just got off and everyone's tired. But if you're doing your job and your schoolwork for the approval of Jesus, you'll always do more than the bare minimum. That's what Jesus was talking about when in Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount when he said, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Because see, in that day, the Jews 
were required by the Roman authority that if a Roman soldier wanted a Jewish person to carry his equipment for exactly one mile, he had to do it. And they counted the steps. And as soon as they got to that last step, they dropped it. Not going any further. That's all I have to do. But Jesus said, you're going to make an impression on the people if you go a second mile with a smile on your face. It's totally different that way. People will always remember the second mile work. Around 1920, a pharmacist bought a drugstore on the south side of Chicago. And soon he got bored with his job and began to dream how he could make it more exciting. It was during a time when people were just beginning to call in their orders using a telephone, so the man decided to challenge himself to make his job more interesting. He decided to see how quickly he could deliver a telephone order. So when someone called in, he repeated the order aloud, including the name and address. And as he spoke with the caller, his assistant filled the order and a driver left immediately to deliver it. And the druggist kept the customer on the phone chatting until the order arrived at the caller's home. And most of the customers lived nearby, of course, but this kind of prompt service was revolutionary and word soon spread. It became the busiest pharmacy in Chicago. He bought other stores and added new ideas like a soda fountain. And within a few years, he had a chain of stores. You know his name? Charles Walgreen. Today there are thousands of Walgreens that are slowly taking over the world. <laughs> Quietly, along with Dollar General, they're just coming everywhere. You know why Charles Green did it, Walgreen did it? Because he was a follower of Jesus Christ. He and his family attended First Methodist Church in downtown Chicago, and when it was built in 1924, First Methodist was the tallest building in Chicago, 400 feet tall. There's a sky chapel built into the base of the steeple, and it was built with money given by the family of Charles Walgreen. The best way to show excellence in your work is to imagine that Jesus is your boss. Amen. We have to remind ourselves of that pretty often, don't we? John Stott, who was a beloved British pastor and author, wrote, the way to serve the Lord in your job is to always imagine that you are working for Jesus instead of your boss. It is possible for the housewife to cook a meal as if Jesus Christ were going to eat it or to clean the house as if Jesus Christ were going to be the honored guest. It's possible for teachers to educate children, for doctors to treat patients, for nurses to care for patients, for lawyers to have clients, for shop assistants to have customers, for accountants to audit books and secretaries to type letters as if every case, as if in every case, they were serving Jesus Christ. So tomorrow can be different. 
I'm going to do my work tomorrow when I go to work. I'm going to do my work for the Lord. Or whatever job you're doing, maybe you're retired and you're doing some other things. Y'all remember Zig Ziglar? He had an enthusiasm that he had enough to spare, and he loved the Lord. And he used to tell a story about a young couple lost on a country road, and they spotted an old farmer, so they stopped the car to get directions. And the man said, sir, can, he asked this farmer, can you tell us where this road will take us? And with a twinkle in his eye, the wise farmer smiled and said, son, this road will take you anywhere in the world you want to go. You just have to keep moving in the right direction. We've got to keep moving in the right direction. Life is all about the journey, not just the destination. What direction are you headed in? The same can be true in a church. I've been a dead weight many years around the church's neck. I've let the others carry me and always pay the check. I've had my name upon the rolls for years and years gone by. I've criticized and grumbled too. Nothing could satisfy. I've been a dead weight long enough upon the church's back. Beginning now, I'm going to take a wholly different track. I'm going to pray and pay and work and carry loads instead and not have others carry me like people do the dead. Let's serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. For those of you who are new to us at Southcrest, we, we take a break in the summertime on Wednesday nights. And let me tell you why. We have a lot of people that serve up here on Wednesday nights. A lot of volunteers, a lot of people, and it's hard to staff it in the summer when people are gone and we've got youth going on mission trips and other trips and camps and things like that. And trust me, we have tried this so many different ways. And so we decided several years ago to just take a break on Wednesday nights for the summer, come back in the fall, first Wednesday after Labor Day, and everyone's ready to go again, and we'll just carry on again. So I know it's disappointing to some of you, but, but trust me, it... It helps a lot, of, a lot of these people working in Awana, a lot of these working with all the other organizations. It's just, it's, it just works. So that's all I can tell you. So tonight's our last night for, for Wednesday nights until we meet again first Wednesday or the Wednesday after Labor Day in September. Now, if you want some stuff about Bible study, well, I've got it online. And you can go to the Southcrest Live, Southcrest, SouthcrestLive.tv, and there's lots of stuff that's been recorded, even Wednesday nights. And so if you want to watch, there's enough Bible studies on there to keep you till Jesus comes, <laughs> if that'll help. Now, Sunday mornings, we're still going strong, and, um, but I hope you understand. Uh, I hope you understand. I want to remind you tomorrow, there's a funeral at 2 o'clock for Rick Applegate. He'll be here in this room um, and pray for that family. Anything else? Let me lead us in prayer. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Help us to be people who set the example when it comes to work ethic 
and, and the, to do it right, to not just get by, not to do the minimum, but to do the kind of quality of work that would bring glory and honor to you. I thank you for the time we have together. I pray for people as they're traveling this summer that you'd give them safety. And a lot of people have been cooped up for over a year now and they're ready to go. And I, I pray you'll help our workers that have worked so diligently and tirelessly that you would help them rest. And um, Lord, we thank you for a break. Thank you for our church. We pray that you'll continue to continue to use us in ways that we never dreamed possible to see people come to know you. I thank you again for these wonderful folks and ask your blessings on them. Thank you again, Lord, for the rain. We really are grateful, God, because you, we know that you have blessed us with that. So we pray that you will lead us in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go and sin no more. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to watch more live streams or additional Bible studies, please go to southcrestlive.tv. We hope to see you again next week.